Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 13th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that doesn't hire executives to run magic online from the company responsible for Windows. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey guys, good afternoon. Glad to join James here for another show, our 13th. Uh, Got all sorts of interesting things to talk about this week. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, break down the segments we've got for everybody today, please. This week, we have three segments. Our first segment is our top movers. This is where we're going to look at the cards that have seen the largest price increases in the last week. Segment two will be cards to watch. This is where James and I go over the cards that we've got our eyes on as potential moneymakers. And this week, we're going to wrap up with segment three. We're going to cover two different events. We're going to look at both the standard event, for, uh, standard open from Star City Baltimore, and then the Modern Classic that ran on Sunday, because there's some interesting things to look at in both of those. So let's go ahead and jump right in on segment one, Top Movers. James, why don't you give us our first card for the week? Sure thing. The first big mover of the week is Secure the Waste, the uh, white instant from Dragons of Tarkir. For uh, one white and X, it makes X warrior tokens. Um it's moved from about $5 to $10 for an easy double up uh, on the back of significant play uh, by white decks and standard and specifically ones that want to make use of the token making capabilities that Secure the Waste brings to the table. Uh, I would I would argue that this is probably a, a fairly short term spike um, likely to rebound back towards its original price. Uh, this is a set that faces rotation in the fall. Um, it's not a, a card that is likely to be much of a staple in modern, though it does see occasional play there. And uh, I would get out while the getting is good. I completely agree with every single one of those points, James. Uh, next up on our list is Gifts Ungiven. I've got the Modern Masters copy written down here, but it's really any of them. Uh, the MMA copy started at $12 this week, hanging around $24, $25 right now. It's about a double up, but I don't even think that price is settled yet. This one is pretty much in process as we're recording. Uh, Gibbs had a, a pretty big weekend, which we'll talk about a little more down later on in the show, but uh, we're seeing it show up in the um, the Thopter Sword decks in Modern. Uh, Lucas Siao won the face-to-face Modern event this past weekend with gifts on with a gifts ungiven Thopter um, Thopter deck, and Jerry also showed up with gifts and sword in his deck. Uh, you know, you get the unburial rights package along with some other utility. So uh, Gibson Given has been on the edge of breaking out in modern for a long time. And the return of Sword of the Meek pretty much just pushed it over the edge. And uh, I think I speak for our loyal listeners when I thank you, Travis, for pointing this out in show number eight, where you called this spec at $10 and told everybody to move in. Oh, I had missed that. But thank you for bringing that to my attention as well. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. We've got uh, un- Undiscovered Paradise, the Visions land that makes any color but returns to your hand when you tap it. 
Uh, started the weekend in around four to four fifty, finishing the week around ten dollars for about one hundred and thirty percent gain. Um, one of uh, many reserve list cards to see uh, momentum uh, through this winter and spring as people try to corner the market on a, on this series of cards that can never be reprinted. Yeah, nothing too exciting there. Standard standard fare. Uh, why don't you give us another one? Sure. We've got uh, Knight of the White Orchid uh, moving on uh, the back of white decks, absolutely dominating the Star City Games uh, debut of the new standard format this weekend. Um, this card moved from $2 to $5 for 150% gain. Uh, this was a four of and numerous white decks uh, on the weekend, and many, uh, many people had called this as a card that was undervalued through last fall and into the early winter. Um, there were plenty of opportunities to pick this up, and hopefully our listeners took advantage. Yeah, Knight of the White Orchid is a very powerful card. Anyone that's playing during a Lara block remembers that this uh, this tended to overperform relative to what it looked like on paper. I'm just glad I picked up my foil a month or two ago for my Brago EDH deck before this happened, because I'm sure those are not any cheaper now than they were then. This is a card that's probably, as with many of these white uh, standard staples, you know, occasionally see EDH play, as you pointed out. Um, But the regular copies are almost certainly going to fall back to earth, especially if the metagame shifts uh, in a hurry. And we have seen um, over the course of the last year, year and a half, that standard has rotated very quickly through uh, different cycles of the metagame. Um, So anytime something spikes like this, I like and I'm not planning on playing with it. um, I'm going to take advantage of that trade out and move on. Yeah, for sure. I wasn't implying anyone hang on to their Night of the White Orchids for EDH play. I was mostly just patting myself on my back for what appears to be foresight, but it's just good timing. <laughs> uh, our next card is uh, Kytheon, Hero of Akros. This is Mini Gideon, uh, Elite Vanguard Gideon, Savannah Lion Gideon. Uh, this is from Origins. Uh, you may have forgotten about this, this guy since we usually talk about Gideon, Ally of Zendikar. Uh, the small guy started at five fifty this week and it's taking around fourteen dollars right now. It's about one hundred fifty percent gain, uh, eight dollars and change. He also showed up in a lot of white decks this weekend in Baltimore. Not quite as much as Knight of the White Orchid, but definitely saw some play. Uh, they're in the market for this type of card, anyways. And basically, this is a Savannah Lions with a lot of upside. So these decks were interested in casting him. With a price tag in the $15 range from Origins, which has a lot of other cards that are very valuable, including Jace, uh, I'm not interested in hanging on to copies here. Again, this sort of has the same problem as Night of the White Orchid, is that it sees a spike in standard utility, but then they tend to drop back pretty quickly after everyone who, who were scrambling to put their decks together gets their copies. Yeah, I think these Origins cards are are going to you know find their peaks within the month. Um, you know, the ones that did well this weekend, the ones that may do well shortly, and then we're, you know people are going to start to realize that um, rotation again is is coming uh, within the next few months um, in the early fall, and uh, prices are likely to fall through the summer. So uh, get out while the getting is good, folks. Um, it's also interesting to point out though that this uh, with Kithian top aiding, um, this is now. Um, all five Planeswalkers from Origins have top aided a major standard tournament um, in the year that they've been legal, which is incredible. Where did Chandrick show up? She was in red decks. Uh, some of the red rush decks were pulling her in out of the sideboard, and some were even running her main through the late fall and early winter. Oh, all right. Interesting. Uh, next up is Tireless Tracker. This is the new card from Shadows over Innistrad that 
as landfall less landfall makes a clue token. You investigate every time you get a landfall trigger. And when you sacrifice clues, you get a 1-1 counter. Came in the week at $2, currently hanging around 6 to 7 bucks for about a 250% gain. This showed up in Jim Davis's Bant company list that won Baltimore. We saw it pop up in a few other places as too. It really overperformed on camera. It got out of control pretty quickly in some of those decks. You really only need like one to two triggers before this is looking very good. Um, because, you know, you're just putting the lands into play anyways, and it's, it's turning into a relevant threat. Uh, and it's essentially drawing you cards with every landfall trigger. So it does a lot of work for you. A word of warning, this is in an intro deck apparently, so don't think that this is a hot spec target. For those of you that were playing back during Abyssin, uh, Wolfier Silverheart was in a intro deck at that time. And Wolfier Silverheart, was it Wolfier Silverheart? Was that the 4-4 that yeah. had the yep, yep. soul bond? Yeah, he like was all over standard and couldn't really get ahead of 8 or $9 as I recall. So I don't think Tireless Tracker is quite that good. So I am not interested in hanging out to copies of this guy either, especially in a brand new set. Yeah, I mean, any rare from a large set like this um, is going to have trouble holding a price over $5 um, unless it's being played, you know, all over the place and truly dominating, um, you know, the way the Goblin Rabble Master was. Um, And I don't see that happening here because this isn't from a small summer set. This is from a large set that's seeing a lot of, um, you know, action at retail. Um, it's also worth noting that Davis was only running two copies in the main and one in the sideboard. So it's not even like it's running the full four. Um, you know, a card like Duskwatch Recruiter, um, even though it's only an uncommon, um, you know, may prove to be a, a better spec target since its price hasn't uh, spiked quite as hard. Um, but time will tell. Yeah, I don't know about you, but my buddies were all about Tireless Tracker and Facebook chat. Uh, before the set came out and they wanted to buy them at a dollar fifty or two and I told them it was a bad idea and now I'm getting crap for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think people underestimated the clue mechanic across the board. Um it's not the kind of thing that's going to make huge waves in modern or anything, but in standard with the mana bases being a little slower now and a little less reliable, um, at least so far in the format, uh aggro, um, you know, in the in the in the way that red green aggro um with uh, you know, Atarka's command was extremely aggressive. Uh, even th- these human decks are a little slower on the draw um, and people have had more time to set up. So the, you know, the ability to get these counters on the tracker in the mid game um, and potentially turn, you know, landfall into, you know, half of a card or a third of a card has has proven proven to be, you know, pretty strong on camera so far. Um, and I would expect to, to see this card, and especially as so long as Collected Company is the format, these you know three casting costs value creatures are going to continue to do well. Yeah, completely, completely agree. All right, go ahead and finish off for us, James. So our biggest mover of the week is Pyromancer's Goggles. Uh, Todd Anderson brought a very sexy brew um, to the Star City Games tournament on the weekend, and finished in fourth with his blue red control deck that was running four thing in the ice, four Jace Friends Prodigy. Uh, two Jorian Ruin Diver, two Chandra Flame Caller, um, and then a Pyromancer's go- three Pyromancer's Goggles to be able to multicast uh, instants and sorceries um, in the mid to late game and really take things over. Uh, the card went from two dollars to eight dollars in a hurry for a three hundred percent gain. And though I like this card, I really liked this card long term when it was under two dollars. Um, given its existing spike, it's definitely time to move out. If anybody was holding copies. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, this actually was up to 12 or 13. I saw copies at 10 or $11 sell. I was quite impressed. Um, and it, it is, it's almost a shame this sauce playing standard because I'm sure quite a few of us were planning on starting to scoop these up closer to rotation once the prices kind of settled a little more comfortably because of the long-term value on this. But now that kind of shot that plan all the hell. Um, but, you know, I think that what we saw here was a critical mass of one mono red spells finally showed up so that you could tap out for this on five and then immediately get the doubling effect. Uh, now you have Magmatic Insight and Lava Axe. And I mean, doing five damage to two creatures, yeah, is just that really, I think, pushed us over the edge. Yeah, I mean, the the in you know the the key tech, as you said, was the this ability to double cast without paying additional costs. So when you're you know as an additional cost to cast Tormenting Voice, discard a card, draw two cards for two. But when you get the copy off the goggles, you've already bypassed uh, the part of the spell casting process where you would have to pay that additional cost. So you're just drawing discarding a card, paying to mana, and drawing four cards, which is of course is just insane. Yeah, absolutely. It's not an interaction I had picked up on, nor had I heard many people talking about it. So, you know, uh, kudos to Todd Anderson and his playtest group for coming up with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that covers our top movers for the week. A little quieter now that we didn't have the modern band list to send that entire format into a frenzy. We're going to move into segment two, Cards to Watch. This is the stuff James and I like as uh, potential money makers for, for everybody involved. I'm going to let you go ahead and start this week. Sure. So my first pick of the week is actually uh, not even my own. I have to credit Chris Coombs, uh, Chris Combs on uh, Twitter for bringing this up on uh, April 12th, that Masterwork of Ingenuity, um, the one casting cost artifact from Commander 2014 that copies any other equipment on the battlefield, um, is just sitting around at a dollar. Um, you know, this is a very unique effect. It's not modern legal. Um, but it's the kind of card that could easily show up in some kind of artifact or equipment focused set and become standard modern legal overnight. And you have to imagine that if they go that route, then at that point, you know, this could be easily a four or five dollar card immediately. Um, and if they don't reprint it, then it's just going to have, you know, slow growth written all over it um, for the long haul because of the uniqueness of the effect. And what's got, what got my attention was me remembering that at uh, GP New Jersey uh, in 2014, which was a legacy Grand Prix, um, I was playing this in my Slivers deck to take advantage of any deck that was playing, um, you know, key equipment uh, alongside Stoneforge Mystic, being able to achieve parity and then suit up the Slivers was pretty sweet. Um, the card always felt powerful when I brought it in out of the sideboard and, you know, I love it at a dollar. Yeah. When I saw this on the list, I was wondering if you had picked this up off of Twitter today. Cause I saw the same thing. Um, I, I think there's a, there's an interesting nugget in here that you kind of glazed over that's worth repeating is, uh, you talked about how if it shows up in standard or modern suddenly being legal in that format, the price would explode. Common sense would tell us that if suddenly this card were made legal, uh, because they announced they were going to print it in, let's say, Eldritch Moon, that uh, the prices should go down because suddenly the market's about to be flooded with copies. You know, there's enough copy, there would be enough copies being printed that the people who needed them for standard could have them, plus there's these additional copies. Well, we've in fact seen this go the other direction on at least one occasion. The Painlands stand out to me. Uh, there were like eight printings of those cards, and then when they announced them in whatever Corsa it was that they started out in, prices rose across the board on Painlands. And we're all just kind of sitting back like, do you people realize that there are going to be 
hundreds of millions of these things on the market, but the prices still went up because people were eager to get a hold of them. So even though if this were printed in standard, the price would have difficulty like being sustained, uh, you would see an immediate jump in price as people rush to get their copies. So having them in on hand to respond to that type of news would be uh, profitable, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think the key factor there that that needs to be mentioned is that you have the closet attrition factor, a thing I talk about all the time, where, you know, it doesn't matter how many copies they print of a card. Um, it matters how many copies are are active in the marketplace. You can have a card that was printed in the hundreds of thousands, but if you've only got 150 copies on TCG, another 150 between eBay and some key vendors, then you've really only got 300 copies total in play. All the rest are sitting in closets and under beds and in binders and in collections, and most of those people are too lazy to ever you know, bring them to the forefront unless you know they're really paying attention to this aspect of the game, and many people don't. So a card like Masterwork of Ingenuity that was never available in booster packs, it was only in Commander products and only as a one-of, which essentially makes it, you know, the equivalent of a mythic in a big set, um, means that, you know, there probably wouldn't be that many copies lying around if it was ever reprinted. And, you know, it, there's, there's no guarantee that they will reprint it anytime soon because it's only a couple of years old. And I think it's very likely that we get two to three years of, of growth potential out of this card before we see a reprint. Um, all of that leads me to believe this is a good pick. Cool. Good insight. All right. We are going to uh, head into my first pick. Uh, I've got Languish this week from Origins. This is a short to midterm pick with a confidence level of about six, maybe pushing seven. Uh, looks like normal Origins copies are in the $3 range right now. I think we can easily see these hit between probably six and seven dollars, uh, which should be a nice little clean double up. Uh, maybe you don't want to buy into these with cash because getting your money back out of them may be difficult, but these are definitely worth trading into uh, for sure because you will not lose money. Uh, I mean, essentially, if you saw standard coverage this week, you know that standard was just completely overrun by small creature strategies. I mean, it was just everywhere. I mean, there was humans everywhere. And if it wasn't the, the white human stocks, you had Bant Company and things of that nature. So uh, a good sweeper, especially one that can fire earlier than turn five or six, is going to be very valuable uh, in the coming standard meta. And I would not be surprised to see Languish see a big part of uh, play a big part in standard in the near future. Um, but just being able to come down ahead of, you know, the five mana rafts is so useful. And I mean, this hits Avacyn too. So this really does clean up most of the creatures you're really interested in hitting. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some potential here. The, the card would need to show up uh, as a three or four of in a deck that was doing extremely well consistently for a little while. Um, there are a lot of copies available online, um, over 170 results, for instance, on TCG Player. So we need some of that inventory to come down to really open the the floodgates for for a spike. But you know, let's see what happens on camera in the next few weeks, and then see when the see if we can find the right entry point uh, for the card. Well, you know, this isn't the kind of card that I'm expecting to see a really dramatic spike. I mean, sweepers don't tend to be sexy. People aren't that excited about them. They play them because they need them. But it's the type of card that will show up in, in bigger numbers this coming weekend uh, and 
people will start picking up their copies because they realize they need it. And then because humans is so powerful and, and collected companies so powerful, uh, those types of decks aren't going to go away. So you're going to see people start to just acquire language and the price will kind of tick up over time because demand will not be satiated immediately. And it's not going to be an overnight. It'll be a month and a half from now, you'll go to pick up your copy and suddenly they're $7. And you're like, well, I thought these were $250 or $3. Like, nope, a lot of people needed them. I mean, even if there's 500 copies online, that's only a handful of play sets in each state and you're pretty much dry. Yep, true enough. So my next pick this week is a card out of the much maligned Saviors of Kamigawa. Uh, and I'm talking about Arayo Soratami Ascendant. Um, this is a card that many people may not be familiar with, um, given that it's at least a decade old um, and very rarely played or talked about. But um, a deck running this card recently 5 out an online tournament and the build looked very interesting indeed. Um Arayu is a 1-1 flyer for one and a blue. Um, and whenever the fourth spell of a turn is played, you flip the card. And these are the old school uh, Kamigawa flip cards. They don't flip over, they flip around. And the other side of this, uh, you know, Arayu turns into a legendary enchantment that states, quite simply, counter the first spell played by each opponent each turn. Um not only does that have, you know, obviously some uh, interest in Commander, uh, where it affects all opponents. Um, it's but banned the, in Commander. Oh, is it? Uh, probably for good Sorry. reason. Um, <laughs> but in Modern, um, the potential here is that you are casting a whole bunch of cantrips in the same turn and flipping this thing over and making life hell for your opponent from there on out. The deck in question was running three Dark Confidant, four Monastery Mentor, two Snapcaster Mage, and four Arayu. And then all the spells were things like Mishra's Bauble, Myth Realized, Dismember, Gutshot, Metamorphose, Remand, Slaughter Pact, Gataxian Probe, and Serum Vision. So many, many, many spells that you could you could cast just for life or for one mana um, and make sure that you consistently were flipping uh, the Soratami Ascendant in, in short order. Um, the card is extremely unlikely to get reprinted because of its flip card status and its very Kamigawa-specific uh, flavor. Um, even if they were to go back to Kamigawa, which I do expect them to do in the next two to three years, um, we're not going to see a reprint of this card, at least not this character in this form is highly unlikely to make a reappearance. Um, and uh, as consequently, um, I would think that going from about, you know, the five to six dollar range where you can find her right now up over ten dollars would only take, you know, one appearance on camera at a Star City event, uh, modern event. And boom, this is a ten dollar plus card. Yeah, and I think when this goes, I think it's more than $10. I mean, this seems like the card, type of card that would just be like, oh, it's 30 for for at least a weekend because supply on this, I mean, we're talking about Kamigawa rares. There's basically nothing legal and modern that has lower inventory than that. Yeah, and there's only like 50 or 60 copies available on TCG right now, all clustered in the kind of 6 to $8 range. Um, you know, there hasn't been a lot of demand for the card. As you said, if it's banned in Commander, um, the casual demand is going to be fairly limited. So this is really hinging on potential modern play. Um, but, you know, it, and it doesn't really mean anything when a deck goes 5-0 once online. Um, but the structure of the deck was was not uh, foolish. It looked quite intelligent. Um, and it was a new uh, arch archetype that we haven't seen before. So definitely worth something to keep your eye on and, you know, maybe sock away a few copies. Yeah, those are always the types of decks that I'm on the lookout for, because even if it's not good enough in its current iteration, either somebody will crack the code 
or eventually they'll print another card that just makes this worth playing. Maybe it's another zero cost spell that happens to be very good for some reason in that type of strategy. And, you know, the pieces of the puzzle may not be there today, but suddenly they will be. And then your card is double or triple in value. I mean, that's exactly what we saw with gifts is gifts was fine. And then they print a doctor and suddenly the card's amazing. So it helps to kind of be ahead of the curve on those. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, one of the things I like here is that once you've got the combo lined up where you have the four spells in hand necessary to flip, you play and, you know, you if they try to kill it with something because it's a one one creature, super fragile, you respond with the four instant speed spells, flip it to an enchantment and killing enchantments without going to the sideboard is much, much harder in modern because there are very few main deck cards that can handle an enchantment. And, you know, it's it's even better than it's like having a planeswalker on the battlefield that they can't answer with damage, um, which has my attention. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, is this actually says it's whenever the fourth spell of a turn is played, but it does not need to be in play for all four spells. So if you have one instant, you can go sorcery, sorcery, cast their IO and then uh, then cast your fourth one and put the trigger on the stack immediately or. Um, something to that effect. So uh, it gives you a little bit of play as well. It's not quite as vulnerable as it may seem at first glance. Yeah, and you don't have to have quite as many spells. I mean, she can't ca- count as her own fourth, but you do get to take into consideration your opponent's spells, so that certainly helps. Correct, yeah, yeah. All right, let's keep moving. Uh, my next card is Radiant Flames. I'm a little less confident in this. I've got this at a five, which is about as low as I'll go and still talk about it. Uh, this is a short to mid card. And this is from Battle for Zenikar, which I've talked about before is not being a set I'm terribly interested to push my money into. But I, I, I got to tell you, this card's like a quarter right now. And Radiant Flames is a pretty powerful card. This is the, the uh, Converge spell. It's three mana for three damage when you uh, fully converge it. Standard is really looking for effects right now. I mean, people would be all over a Anger of the Gods type effect if it was legal. Um, And Radiant Flames is right there. And not only is Radiant Flames going to do what you want and also be able to get an even quicker than Languish and beat some of those double lieutenant draws that other sweepers like Languish might have trouble with. Uh, It's also, if you're playing Radiant Flames, it kind of pays, you're kind of already being paid to play Painful Truths. And we know Painful Truths is a very powerful card drawing spell. It's showing up in uh, Modern and Legacy, uh, Legacy even. So you're kind of, playing Radiant Flames pushes you into a place where you get to play other powerful cards. Again, at a dollar, I would not tell anyone about this card, but at a quarter, I mean, at the very least, I would be grabbing these in trades because even if this only creeps its way up to a dollar or a dollar fifty, that's still like a several hundred percent gain. So this is a card I'll be looking to see if I can score really cheap copies whenever I'm placing orders or from trading with somebody. I'll see if I can get them to toss them in because um, you might be able to make some some value on this one uh, as just just being a powerful spell that standard is in need of right now. Yeah, I mean, again, the the issue here is that there's hundreds of copies available online, and I think the real the real tipping point for this and standard to get it back up, you know, over a dollar or something, would be that you know the magic the mana base needs to be able to support casting this on three colors. There was a general consensus and some folks I was talking to that because many of the decks were only two colors casting this on two wasn't enough because you had all sorts of cards like reflector mage and and uh things that humans that have received uh counters from thalia's lieutenant and so forth that are going to be at three toughness and you know we need to see lands probably in eldritch moon 
that steer us back in the direction of three colored decks, um, at which point, you know, this becomes uh, a pretty sexy card for another six months. So, you know, let's see where that shakes out and whether we get another sweeper that uh, tends to be the preferred one. Um, you know, it's tough for both this and Languish to get there. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised or if one or the other does uh, make a move. And again, at 25 cents, <laughs> grab a few play sets. You're not really losing out on much. Right. And I, I appreciate you betting over backwards to not just call me <laughs> full of crap talking about this card. I mean, I have to stress that this is a low confidence level card, but I mostly have it on here just to kind of put it on your radar. I mean, really just look for it in trade finders, I think is, is the angle here. Yeah, if you can get it as a throw-in, why not? I mean, the the card has has usefulness throughout its its play cycle for sure. Yep. All right, what's your last one for the week? So I got a weird one. This uh, for my last one this week. It's not actually a spec pick. It's just a good deal I saw online. Um, uh, <laughs> props to Channel Fireball. Um, they've got a pretty sweet, uh, you know, casual pickup um, for just you know the average Magic player. They got a thing called the Oath of the Gatewatch Booster Crate. Uh, which was priced at $120 and is now at $100. Uh, so for $99.99, you're getting a Oath of the Gatewatch booster box, a Modern Masters 2015 booster pack, uh, also booster packs of Cons, Battle for Zendikar, uh, something from Theros Block and a Conspiracy booster pack, along with a couple of spin-down life canners and two packs of 50-count sleeves and a deck box. Um, and that's pretty sweet. Pretty, pretty much everything past the Oath booster box is free. Um, and you know, if you were looking to pick up some cards or just wanted to treat yourself, that's a pretty sweet deal this week. Yeah. And, uh, avid listeners will know that I have put Oath of the Gatewatch cards on my cards to watch list pretty much every week since that set came out. So, I mean, of all the sets that you could be buying in standard right now, this one is definitely uh, one that I like. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cards um, that are going to peak down the road from that set that have not yet had their chance. Um, and I'm assuming that this kind of deal is being offered because Oath sales have dramatically slowed in the face of a very popular Shadows of Innistrad. Um, and also the fact that the Eldrazi deck was bought, banned and Modern has left a bad taste in people's mouth for the set, which may actually uh, mean, mean in the long run that less of this set gets opened than it would have uh, been otherwise. And you know that's a great place to be um, when you're looking for spec targets for the long term, because the overall volume just won't be there, um, you know, as as the set fades a little faster than it normally would. Uh, Eldrazi is still a very real deck in Legacy. Um, I expect that many of those cards are going to be popular casually over the years. Cards like Kozilek are under $10 when they almost certainly will top 20 down the road. Um, everything about that I like, and this just seems like a solid deal. Yeah, I, I love me some deals, man. All right, I'm going to go ahead and finish off the week on this section. Uh, I'm finishing off with Almoretz, I think, Ahamoretz? Ahamoretz Archive uh, from Magic Origins. This is the 5 mana artifact that doubles your life gain and cards drawn. Uh, I have this as a confidence level of 7. Prices right now are in the 4-ish dollar range. Um, I could definitely see this hitting double digits. I want to jump back to Pyromancer's, or Pyromancer's Goggles real quick and make a. I want to notice that that is a card that nobody thought would really do anything in standard. And then suddenly it crossed a critical threshold and it became powerful enough to see play. Now, I don't know if Pyromancer's Goggles is going to take over standard, but I do know that the card definitely did a lot of work in the format. 
So a card like Almoret's Archive is very easy to dismiss if we don't necessarily have all the pieces there yet, but it can suddenly look very good um, when it, it starts getting used correctly. Uh, people who have been around for a little while will remember Rock's Faith Mender, which was a creature at four mana that doubled your life gain. That was all he did. He doubled the amount of life you gain. And he saw some good standard play for a little while there. I think the, the goal was to follow him up with Thrag Tusk and gain 10 life, which was just unbeatable for aggro decks. So, you know, the doubling the life gain will sometimes push reasonable or marginal cards into uh, very useful. And doubling your card draw, uh, I mean, that's going to take any spell that draws you cards and suddenly make it busted. I mean, as we saw with Parametric Goggles and, and Magmatic Insight, what I'd be looking for are ways to gain life that don't cost mana, uh, much in the same way that you want to be able to use Pyromancer's Goggles on the turn that you resolve it. Uh, the trick to Alamoret's Archive will be, uh, can you gain life or draw cards without spending mana so you can cast this on turn five and immediately cash in on it? So anything with a sacrifice effect or lifelink creatures, um, things of those natures or creatures that you can sacrifice to draw cards, uh, those types of things are really going to set this card up to do well. And this is all just in standard. It may get there, it may not, I'm not sure. But the the short version of this is, short version, is that this card is already $4, and that's from Origins, which is in the same set as Jace and a lot of other very good cards. So the fact that this is holding a price tag at like $4 or more in the face of that much competition means there's a lot of demand for this card. I mean, what EDH deck doesn't want to do this type of thing? Uh, and I can easily see this getting to double digits just on, on casual and EDH demand alone. And the standard stuff is just like, well, maybe you get to double or triple up your money in three months instead of a year and a half. Yeah, I have no idea what pieces are required for this to, you know, make a Pyromancer's Goggles type appearance in standard. But I really liked this card back in January when it was about $3, um, just as a mythic rare that with, with a unique effect that would likely see casual play over a long period of time um, and wasn't likely to be reprinted anytime soon. Um, you know, it's already gone from three to almost five dollars um, in some places. And, you know, I think it's a ten dollar plus card down the road. Um, I'd love to see it retreat a little bit before I would move in on it. Um, but it's not it, it still has solid gain potential even at this level. I don't know under what conditions this card loses its ground from here, though. I mean, I agree. I'd like to pay less for it, too. I just don't I don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, it could easily hold steady around five. Um you know, given that people have stopped opening Origins boxes, um, you know, the down the road, um, most of the Origins boxes are going to get chewed up by people searching for Jaces, would be my guess. Um, mm -hmm. There's not going to be a lot of that product lying around. So, you know, a lot of these mythics are likely to gain ground. And this is why I've got Origins pegged as, you know, the, the Innistrad or Future Sight um, of its, you know, three to five year period. Uh, small set, last core set ever tons and tons of interesting rares and mythics um, with potential to pop and Jace to anchor the whole thing um, had me buying a bunch of boxes several months ago. And if you can get in on them under $100, folks, I think that's one of the few booster boxes that is likely to show solid year-over-year -year gains for the next three to five years. Is that in... Uh, when does that go out of print? They're usually in print for about a year, right? Yeah, I mean, because the core sets um, rotate in a year and not a year and a half, um the the print run is definitely shorter um 
And I'm not sure exactly when the print run ends, but I know that, you know, for instance, foreign boxes uh, are only available to most vendors in the first few weeks of release. So, you know, foreign uh, origins, Korean, Russian, Japanese, um, there are very few of those around already, and there's going to be less and less as time goes on. And given that you've got at least Jace to chase um, in those boxes, they're definitely high on my sealed product list, which is a pretty short list. Yeah, I uh, I have not looked up the prices for foil Japanese or Russian Jace Rinse Prodigies, but I bet that is not a number that anyone wants to be on the uh, the other end of. They're trying to buy them. Yeah, they're, right. hun- they're, hundred- they're hundreds and hundreds. I've got a foil Russian uh, pre-release Jace sealed um, that I picked up for 70 uh, wow. late last summer that's already easily three to $500, depending on who's willing to pull the trigger. Um <laughs> I'll be holding that one for a while. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move into segment three, our uh, metagame week in review. We're going to cover two events this week. We will start with the standard open from Baltimore. Uh, I mean, if you missed it, I mean, I don't know how you missed it, but it is just white up and down and a lot of humans, a lot of mid range, a lot of Abyssins. Um James, what have you got to tell us about this? I mean, I think let's first give a round of applause to Wizards for, you know, reinvigorating Standard. Um, I, I, I've i been very pleased with how Standard has gone over the last two years or so, ever since we got free of the kind of mono blue versus mono black um, uh, Nykthos builds um, during the Theros block. Things have got been on a serious upturn, and this is, again, a very fresh, very interesting format, very aggro-focused a strong uh, showing for white uh, after you know a few years of being one of the weaker colors in the format, um, and here we have you know white black Eldrazi in third. We have white black mid range in fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth were different uh, versions of white blue or white green humans decks. Um, tons of new cards from Shadows Over Innistrad making a big debut. You have the blue red control build from Todd Anderson with Pyromancer's goggles showing up as really sexy tech. And then on top of the heap, you have, you know, a true competitor in Jim Davis representing with Bant Company and, you know, putting all of the Bant value creatures on the table um, backed up by Collected Company and Dromoka's Command and Ojatai's Command to pull off all sorts of sweet plays leading into, you know, Archangel Avison to finish things off. Yeah, there's just there's just so much going on here. And this is such a departure from what we've been seeing. Um I mean, the, yeah, the, the humans all over the place are, are probably the story. I mean, the, the Declaration in Stone is certainly a big takeaway here, too. Uh, rapidly moving to the forefront of the format as the uh, r- removal of choice for everybody. Um, and I mean, once you're, once you're like, you want to play white because it's got Declaration in Stone. And then once you're playing white for the stone, well, I can just play Avacins. And uh, it is going to be a very white standard, at least for several more weeks or months to come here. I mean, one of the things I think is interesting here is that a lot of the um, decks that were predicted to survive and that uh, folks in MTG Finance were issuing um, prognostication around in terms of you should be picking up Kalidas, Trader of Get, you should be picking up Kozilex Return, etc. A lot of those cards are nowhere to be found here. Um, without uh, Rally in the format, um, the the cards that are necessary to respond to that format warping deck um, have have taken a sidestep, 
and may well return um, as time goes on. But for instance, with Kozlik's return, um, doing two damage again is not the magic number. You really want to be doing three. And the green, red Eldrazi decks are, you know, nowhere to be found here. They've they've uh, pivoted in the Eldrazi world back to white black um, to be able to take advantage of, um, you know, the controllish mid rangey cards that help ramp you up into Soren um, and Avacyn, um, making use of things like Matter Reshaper, Knight of the White Orchid, Eldrazi Displacer, and Thought Knots here to play a really kind of grindy mid-range, almost uh, Jund or Junk type game, and to allow themselves to take advantage of things like Four Oves of Declaration and Stone, um, a format-defining kill spell that is looking like uh, you know a really good choice both for mid-range and aggro decks, um, and probably making the people that got in under $2 extremely happy. Um, while folks like us that were much more skeptical of a spell like that stayed clear. Yeah. Um, worth pointing out uh, there, I, I'm looking at the results right now. There was a green red ramp deck, uh, that did show up, took 23rd place. So kind of fall off the radar a little bit. Um, but it's in there and, you know, this is a 600 person event. So, I mean, 23rd is still a, still a reasonable accomplishment and there's some good stuff in there too. There's three Sylvan advocates main. Uh, which I'm sure is used to kind of hold the four against those early onslaught. You've got two Chandra Flame Caller, which is uh, good as it comes down as basically a wrath as needed um, and can pressure other other control decks with their plus one. And I'm also seeing seeing two Kozlux return for Oath of Nyssa and a four Traverse Ul involved, which uh, I mean, I think both LSV and Chapin called this the best green card in the set. So this could be a sign of things to come here. Um, you know, at, at this point, I'm looking for where standard is going to move next, as I'm sure most of the players are as well, who are looking to compete in these events. But part of of getting ahead of these uh, fiscal curves is figuring out what how how the format pivots and what people are going to be looking for next. And I think it's going to be answers to swarms of creatures. And if Green Red Ramp is playing things like Kozlux Return and Flame Caller to uh, sweep the board, we may see a push on cards like. Jibrisul involved, which is a uh, a big part of that strategy um, and, a, and a very powerful card. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for, you know, where do you put your money now? Keep in mind that the cards that have done the best, especially at, say, the rarity of rare um, card like Collected Company, playable in modern, dominant in multiple, multiple decks in standard. Um, so many different builds have made use of this of this card in the last year. And, you know, it's holding $20 for an in-print rare um, pretty incredible. And you, you need to be looking for targets like that, that are not, um, isolated in a single strategy that can, uh, jump the fence as it were, as the metagame shifts and pivots so that you have time to get out of the card accordingly. Um, you know, we have Sylvan advocate up at $8 out of oath of the Gatewatch. There was a really good opportunity to get in on those at two or $3 when it was first, uh, released about you know two or three weeks into peak supply um, after they hit the market you could have been getting in on that card um, but many people underestimated it and it's these kind of easily splashable um, good in uh, both you know control and aggro or aggro and uh, or control and combo or something these are the kind of cards that show up as four ofs, you know, your Jace Friends Prodigies, your Reflector Mages, your Duskwatch Recruiters, and Collected Companies. You need to find these cards if you want to make money in Standard. Um, 
it's why I was very you know hesitant on cards like Chandra and on Kalidus because they always struck me even when they were doing well in the format as something that was going to end up as a one of or a two of and in one deck or the other, but very rarely as a four of. Um, you know, because of the double casting cost requirement, because of legendary status, um, because they were higher on the curve. And, you know, these are all the factors you need to take into, into consideration um, when you're picking your targets. That's all, it's all very fair. I, uh, <laughs> I, I hope none of my friends listen to this episode because I almost made a bet with one of them about how much Sylvan, how much play Sylvan Advocate would make. Uh, the only reason we didn't actually put cash on it was because we couldn't decide what criteria to use. But uh, whatever we would have used, I'm sure I would have lost by now. I did not think this card was very good at all. So uh, let's just hope nobody, none of them are listening. <laughs> well, I mean, it's important to point out that the Archangel of Time is having spiked to over $20, um, I think was on our list last week. Um, it's time to get out on that card for sure. Um, it's very unlikely to see play outside of standard um, as a $20 mythic. Um, that would be at the top of my list for cards to be fleeing right now. Um, it's also worth noting that Arlen Core didn't show up um, in any great quantity um, in this event. Uh, didn't seem like there was a deck that really um, could make uh, the best use of her. Certainly not as a four of. Um, we don't see, you know, I don't see any copies in the top 16. Um, and that card is almost certainly way overpriced as a result. I'd be trying to get out of that as fast as possible. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I do agree with that. But th there's this, this little caveat here that really we are, we're only one event in. And uh, Standard is notorious for being won by the mono red aggro deck on week one every time there's a major format change because it's just this really aggressive deck that takes no prisoners, uh, that does praise on untuned decks. Now, this time it's not a mono red aggro deck. Uh, but we definitely saw small white aggro kind of filling that role. So it's possible that there's a lot of room for cards like Arlen Cord and like Kaleidos and these types of guys to, um, there's a lot of room for them to, for them to find in standard. It's just week one, it can be very difficult. And not, not to say you're incorrect about any of this. I'm just thinking that um, both for us and our listeners, it's important not to get blinded by one uh, results worth, one event's worth of results. Yeah, I mean, totally true. And I think the ideal situation for a card like Arlen is that um, she becomes very maligned. Nobody, uh, everybody, you know, turns their back on the card. It drops down to the usual range for a Planeswalker that's not seeing much play. Let's call it 8 to $12. And then, you know, you get a chance to move in ahead of Eldritch Moon and we get a bunch of additional werewolves that suddenly make that deck interesting. Or Red Green just gets the support it needs to you know, set up defense in the early game um, and give her a chance to really go to work Huntmaster style, um, generating value um, behind some kind of bristling wall of defenses. For sure. And if you read uh, Mark Rosewater's article this week, he actually mentioned that they originally had a legendary werewolf in the set that they had to pull because of color and space requirements. But he did not say they removed it from the block. He just said they took it out of uh, Shadows of Renistrad. So I completely expect to see that legendary werewolf show up in Eldritch Moon. And if that is a mythic, if it is a constr or, or otherwise a constructed playable legendary werewolf and not just a throwaway legendary werewolf for EDH, 
suddenly Ireland Cord will be looking much, much better. So I'm absolutely liking the idea of watching Ireland Cord very closely because if she gets down into the single-digit price tag, uh, I would be more than happy to be scooping those up. Yeah, I like her as a long-term hold regardless. The um, One of the interesting things thematically with Eldritch Moon is if you believe Emrakul is the big bad in that set, and there's every reason to believe that that makes sense, um, the the question becomes, are we going to have, you know, we saw a lot of corrupting influence in Shadows over Innistrad where many images on various card types showed um, what seemed to be um, Emrakul's influence in terms of mutations. If that plays out, will some of these creatures have dual creature types like Werewolf Eldrazi? Um, and what would that mean in terms of what cards suddenly become uh, targets or more interesting, both for casual and competitive play? Um, definitely something I'm going to put a little bit of research into to figure out where we should be looking. Uh, also worth pointing out, Avison had a great debut um, and has rewarded greatly the people who were willing to scoop her up at $20. Um, I did not have a tremendous amount of faith in the card um, to hold its price tag, um, but it showed up in force, um, did very, very well in multiple decks in the top eight, sometimes as a four of, sometimes as a two of, sometimes as a three of. Um, but there's no debate anymore. Avacyn is extremely strong and standard. Um, if you got in at 20, you can get out safely now. She's highly unlikely to push much beyond 50. Um, and, you know, if you've got your play set, feel free to hold on to those for a while. You probably won't need to get out till the fall. Yeah, the, the old people among us will appreciate that uh, Sarah Angel is still a good creature, still playable after all these years. Uh, never mind the other texts on there, whatever, it's just Sarah Angel. <laughs> Um, but I mean, and no matter what happens to standard, Avison is still going to be good. Like there is not going to be a standard format where she is not playable. She's either the top end on aggressive decks or part of mid range decks or a finisher for control decks. But, um, she's, she's part of standard at this point. So I'm not anticipating that price being really much lower than 20, maybe, um, for a while. Probably. This card feels like Baneslayer Angel all over again, an extremely dominant mid-range white creature that is going to be a popular three or four of throughout its existence in the format, you know, plus or minus a few weeks where the metagame shifts around her. Um, but uh, there are also angel collectors out there that will be hot to be picking up these foils. She's going to be popular in Kalia of the Vast decks and EDH, so... You know, there's there's a lot of distance uh, on this card if it ever sees a strong retraction in price to potentially move in, at least on the foils. Yeah. Okay. Let's hit modern quick. We got a few minutes left. This is the uh, the modern classic that also fired this weekend, kind of quietly in the background. Um, was won by Scapeshift, uh, which was a unique build. One would have expected the first Scapeshift deck out of the unban announcement to be packing a full set of ancestral visions, but instead it was running none, uh, but it had four prismatic omen. And I got to tell you, I am not exactly sure what to make of that. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I don't have a lot of experience playing the deck or even playing against it. Um, I've only encountered it a couple of times um, at competitive level. And all I can say is that there are, you know, multiple uh, builds and play that seem where the experts behind the deck seem to know how they need to shift their configuration to respond to different shifts in the metagame. Um, and I'm sure that there are more um, 
adjustments to be made as that metagame settles because post Eldrazi ban, um, you know, modern is very much up in the air. People are trying to figure out where sword Thopter fits into things, um, how ancestral vision uh, may or may not warp the format back towards blue. Um, and you still got, you know, aggro decks like infect and affinity um, and, you know, even the aggro control decks like merfolk um, well positioned to, you know, drive home points of damage as people are dirtling around. So who knows? Yeah, and I will say that on the Prismatic Omen front, uh, I did play Scape Shift for an entire PTQ season, and uh, I really wanted the Prismatic Omen builds to be good. That's I was excited to cast that card, but it never worked for me. It always felt like, um, basically, like the t- by the time it really became relevant, that you either needed to resolve a Scape Shift to kill your opponent, uh, in which case the Prismatic Omen wasn't really necessary, or you were just dead because Prismatic Omen relies on having so many lands in play and then making land drops to start getting value out of your battle kits. It never really came up for me. But hey, I mean, if this is going to be the future of the deck, I'm all for it. I think it's a really interesting card. Interestingly enough, Corbin Hostler pointed this out on our forums about a week ago on the Pro Trader forums as a good pickup. And I'm just checking the stock on TCG Player right now. It's already up a few dollars from where he talked about it, and there are not many left out there. Um, so this is probably going to go in price pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting card, and I, I'm surprised to see no Antrustal Visions in the deck. Also for Cryptic Command, too. Um, so I know uh, Jeremy Aronson, Lengthy Zemmet, has been talking about Cryptic Command for a little while, and with uh, with some of these changes, we might see a return of Cryptic Command, too. Uh, I, I definitely like that idea. I, I'm going to pivot really quick to point out that we saw not really any Thopter Foundry, uh, Thopter Foundry Sword of the Meek decks in the top eight of this event, which caught me by surprise. But we did see Jerry Thompson place 26 with a blue-white Thopter deck. Uh, Jerry Thompson, for those of you unaware, was basically the guy who kind of pioneered this, or at least he was the brain uh, behind the extended deck that really broke this combo by shoving it together with um, Vampire Hexmage and Dark Depths. Uh, he made Thopter Depths, which just took over that format. So uh, he'll be a person to watch uh, lists come out of because he's got a lot of experience with that card. And at the same time, while well, it was on the Star City Cla- uh, Open Classic, we did see Lucas Seau in a large face-to-face modern event this past weekend win with... Uh, a blue-white Thopter deck with gifts as well. And I think there actually were three Thopter decks in that top eight over there. So we haven't seen Ancestral Vision and Thopter Sword take over Modern yet. This is no uh, this is no Eldrazi, but I feel like this is sort of the tip of the iceberg on some of these cards and strategies. Yeah, I was at the face-to-face uh, event, and I can tell you that the metagame in Toronto is pretty excited about uh, Thopter uh, Sword in general and is trying. There are multiple configurations in play. As people try to figure out what to do, um, you've got the kind of classic blue-black control builds that lean heavily on Tezzeret, Agent of Bolas, who's already seen a spike. Um, you've got the builds that are more equipment-oriented. Um, you've got the builds that are, you know, Jeskai-oriented. Um, I'm working on a build that's a hybrid uh, Rally the Ancestors slash Sword of the Meek Thopter Foundry deck, where you have a bunch of Blood Artists and Muddle the Mixture, Cartel Aristocrat, Viscera Seer, Steel Shaper's Gift. And then Stonehaven Outfitter to pull it all together so that every time anything gets equipped, um, if Pure Steel Paladin is in play, you're drawing a card. If the creature dies, you're drawing a card. Um, if all of those creatures go to the graveyard, you bring them back with Rally. 
and you've got all these puzzle pieces that you can pull together um, by transmuting through muddle the mixture. Um, there's all sorts of things uh, going on in the brewing scene with Thopter and Sword, and I expect uh, that we have not seen the end of that story. Uh, I'll be very surprised if that combo does not top eight event uh, an event in the next few months. Oh, I mean, I'd be very surprised if that wasn't earning multiple top eights a weekend, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, do you have anything more you want to say on this topic while we're here, James? I think that uh, Zemet is right about Cryptic Command, uh, especially since it was printed in both of Modern Masters 1 and 2. It, there's a strong possibility it's not in Modern Masters 3 next summer, um, in which case Cryptic goes back to 40 plus for sure. Yeah, and you know, I really liked the NPR promos of this one quite a while ago. Um, uh, quite a while ago, I was grabbing them at like 50 bucks or so. They moved a little bit from then, and then Cryptic Command kind of proceeded from modern, and they've kind of come back down around to that price. But you know, this is the textless full art version of Cryptic Command. Um, still very unique, still not going to see any more of them. And if we see Cryptic Command come back in force, I think demand on those goes up pretty heavily. You know, it's hard to speculate on a $50 card, but I do think that if that's the type of card that you would enjoy, if you want a full set of Cryptic, uh, set of full art Cryptic Commands, I would not wait to work on finishing that because you could wake up and they could be $100 tomorrow. Uh, not because of what I'm saying, just because there's not going to be a lot of stock out there for you to pick up. So it will not take much to move this. And uh, if Cryptic Command starts seeing play, especially alongside Gifts Ungiven, there won't be many out there. Yep, agreed. Um, one thing I'll reiterate from last week was one of my picks was uh, Jeskai Ascendancy at 50 cents still looks amazing. Um, I ran a deck uh, at the face-to-face event and blew out an affinity player who was far too arrogant about his ability to deal lethal damage when he was facing down uh, Monastery Mentor and two tokens in play, untap, uh, path his remaining blocker, um, draw and discard off the Ascendancy, discard Fiery Temper for three to the face and hit him upside the head for seven, six, and six, I believe, off the two tokens and the Mentor, and he goes from 20 to zero in a single turn. Um, and that that was my crazy, janky build that no one else is ever going to play. If I can be doing things like that against aggro decks like Affinity, then Ascendancy is going to get broken one day. Um, some cards will be printed, that card will go over the top, and picking those up at 50 cents is going to feel brilliant down the road. Well, I, uh, I've got a couple foils, so I'm on board. All right, let's go ahead and wrap this up for the week. It's going to a little late for me. In fact, uh, James, where can our loyal listeners find you? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. All right. And again, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Wednesday for MTGPrice.com. And occasionally I show up on Cartel Aristocrats, the webcast that I do with some of the other guys from MTG Price. And I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right, that brings us to the end of episode 13, James. I thought we had a great conversation, and thanks for joining me. Cheers, Travis. We'll uh, see you next week. Mm-hmm.